Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933. Online at mypremierortho.com. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And now we're going we're gonna to do a school show. It's the end of August and uh, nearly the end of August. And I would say that school's about to start, but for the two guests in the studio, it started almost two weeks ago. Uh, our guests are Brown County Schools Superintendent David Schaefer and Bloomington Project School Director Daniel Barron. They're going to talk with us today about uh, changes in the 2002 for the 2012, I should say, school year um, and uh, all the things that they're, they're doing at their schools this year to try to make education the best possible thing it can be for their students. If you want to join the conversation, you can call us at 855-0811 or toll-free 1-877-285-WFIU. Or you can join the live chat that we have going on, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And if you're online, you can feel free to follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, David and Daniel, thanks for being here. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Bob. Both return visitors. We appreciate having having both of you back. There are lots of school corporations that are starting this time of year, but uh, we uh, are happy to have both of you in. And you both told me that you've, you're nearing the, the end of your second week this year. So, David, what's the first two weeks been like at Brown County? Well, I think we've been off to a good start. We, uh, we have uh, contracted bus routes in Brown County, so we're on a new uh, set of series of four-year bus contracts this year. Those always present some challenges for us, but uh, I think we've managed to get our kids to the schools and get them back home fairly well with an exception or two. And I want to say a big thanks to our bus drivers and our contractors for for their work on that. And then also a big thanks to all of our staff members. Um, Our buildings were ready. We we had some uh, significant building initiatives over the summertime. And uh, our teachers and principals are in in uh, the buildings and and we're off and running yeah now i, I want to mention that the mccsc schools and the uh, and rbb started just this week you started on august 10th could you talk a little bit about about your schedule in brown county and and how it is that you started so early actually that's roughly the corresponding day to where we've started for a number of years now. We try to get first semester in before Christmas and, uh, you know, to get 89, 90 student days in before Christmas. Um, you're, you're talking about a start sometime around this early second week of, uh, of August. So mm-hmm. um, that's been a debate, of course, at the General Assembly on terms of whether or not the, they're going to mandate uh, – a start after Labor Day, and and uh, so we'll see what happens on that. I guess. Right. I think they've done that in Wisconsin. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, Daniel, the project school has uh, start. You started at the same time. Well, actually, we started on the eighth. On the eighth. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. And uh, we're off to a terrific start. Uh-huh. Um, we have approximately forty new students and um, a couple of new faculty. That always adds new enthusiasm and energy and, and passion. Um, one of our new teachers comes from the Harlem Children's Zone, which is Jeffrey Canada's work and from his original school. So we're really pleased to have someone with the urban experience um, teaching at the project school mm-hmm. this year. Now, can you explain a little bit about the project school? I think, again, it's probably it's, – it's not as uh, – as old a school as right. Brown County, the Brown County Schools or the Monroe County Community Schools. So talk about your history, when you started, and, and what the uh, mission is. I'd be happy to. This is our third year. So, um, and we started by, we're one of the few schools in the state that were just designed by educators. And a group of teachers and school leaders came together to have a conversation around what would school look like if it was based on what we believe, the shared beliefs we had about what's best for children and families. And as we identified nine core beliefs, it became clear to us that we couldn't create the school in a traditional school system. 
So the only way for our beliefs to come to fruition and serve children without cost would be to take the charter school route. So um, we did that, that. We started that process in 2007, and we opened in 2008 or nine, 2009. But you are a public school. We are a public school, tuition-free. Um, we, our geographic borders are the state lines. So one of the great advantages of having open boundaries is that when children, transiency is a real problem, particularly for high-risk kids, uh, poverty, uh, kids, kids of color. When, when they move a lot, they're often are changing schools and often coming back and forth to the same school multiple times. So um, given our boundaries, once a child's in the school, they can stay regardless of where they live in the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. Daniel, are your teachers members of the teachers' union? Uh, no, we are not unionized. I don't know that any charter school. There may be a couple in the whole state that are unionized. Um, so our teachers are all, um, all work without a teacher's contract. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're at will employees. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, one of one of the big issues this year, as we head into the school the school year, is the the new voucher program in the state. Um, school vouchers allow um, qualifying families some money uh, from state money, and they can use that money to go to um, any approved private school. David, has that affected you in Brown County? We have not noticed a significant effect. I envision that our enrollment this year is going to be down about 20 students. We anticipated that at the uh, during the last school year, and we've been on a bit of an enrollment decline. I believe that to be a, a factor of housing that's available in Brown County more so than any other issue. I think we're kind of insulated geographically, and so... Um, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't say we're, we haven't lost any students related to the to the voucher program, but um, I don't feel like it's probably impacted us in a major way as it has some more uh, metropolitan and urban school corporations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Daniel? Oh, no, no impact at all mm-hmm. um, because the, it's a tuition-free school. Mm-hmm. Um, You've got the opposite problem, don't you? How so? Kind of an embarrassment of riches when it comes to students wanting to attend your school. Yeah, that's true. It's actually it's, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, this year we turned away over 200 kids. We have a lottery system. It's a blind lottery where all names of each kid at every grade level, level is put into a hopper. And we pull the names out and they get accepted into the school by the order in which their name is pulled. So uh, we, that day is a very painful day for many kids and families and teachers because we, we know some of the families. We recognize the need from having read you know, their applications. And um, last year we had to turn away probably four times or five times more kids than we actually took in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, can I get both of you to comment on the voucher system because it's been a point of controversy, yes. obviously. Um, you know, the, there have been challenges, constitutional challenges to it, saying that it, it violates the separation of church and state. I believe, uh, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure you'll correct me if I am, a lower court um, sided with that point of view, but then an appellate court overruled that that ruling. So perhaps it'll be headed to the state Supreme Court. Um, where do you fall down on this argument, David? Well, philosophically, it would be it would be my position that it is a, a violation of, of church and state, particularly, of course, as it relates to the parochial schools. I suspect that a number of parochial schools will, will not accept uh, the voucher program because they would not want to have the ties that, that come with uh, money that comes from from the uh, government. Uh, it remains to be seen, I suppose, whether the courts will uh, come down and, and side with the philosophy that I state or otherwise. There certainly is, a, I think, a sweeping interest in uh, uh, having some kind of uh, voucher program or tax money follow um, students in, in our country today. And uh, I, I, I suspect that it may go all the way to the federal court system before mm-hmm. it's resolved. Yeah, I think in uh, we had a story that said that in, in Bloomington, four Bloomington schools have uh, said they'll accept vouchers, and three of them are faith-based schools right. that have have agreed to accept vouchers. So, Daniel, your position? Uh, um, yeah, I, I think it's a question of equity. I mean, the the stated intent of the of the voucher program is to give kids a choice of schools that to attend who otherwise might not be able to afford a choice. Um, the income guidelines are such that um, it, the, the range is pretty high in terms of tuition support. So I, I feel differently about private schools than I do about parochial schools. I think there are two different issues, but I think equity issues come into play in both of them. 
Um, I, I also am opposed to uh, public dollars going to support religious schools. I, I think it really is runs counter to the thinking of our founding uh, fathers, and um, that it's probably inappropriate. Overwhelmingly, statewide, uh, most of the voucher-accepted schools are parochial schools, many, many Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's an issue. And then the other issue is um, that when kids who, um, who can afford an alternative and get support for vouchers, it leaves less vouchers available for those kids who can't afford an alternative. So I'm really uncomfortable with the income guidelines. I, I think if... Um, if children in poverty are um, permitted to use state money to go to a private school, I'm really comfortable with that for them to have a choice, um, much less so for folks who are more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Our phone numbers today, 855-0811, wfiu or you can join our live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Uh, State Impact Education reporter Kyle Stokes is there moderating that chat today. So you can uh, join the uh, conversation there. Um, So what about school funding altogether? State funding, I know we've had some issues with that. Um, And, uh, you know, there's there's never enough money for schools. You had a referendum last year, did you not? Our referendum was specifically tied to our career resource uh, center program, Mm -hmm. our adult ed program in the community. That was a program that was originally created with uh, Lily Cape, uh, actually two Lily Cape grants. And um, we were successful in that referendum. I believe we were successful because we put a very strict limit of of a penny per hundred dollars of assessed valuation uh, as the as the factor. So ours was a very unique referendum as referendums go, mm-hmm. absolutely completely different than the mm-hmm. one over here. Very specific and targeted toward adults, which is also unusual. Exactly. I, I, it's the only one that I'm aware of that put the parameters on it that, that it did. I think it speaks to the fact that um, our community, our county um, – recognizes, I think, the value of uh, having such a program. I think we're serving a lot of people who, for one reason or another, need adult education in a, in a very rural setting. And um, uh, we were really pleased with the results of the, of the, uh, of the referendum. Mm-hmm. So how, how's your, um, your, your faculty size? I mean, are those things holding steady? Have you been able to maintain the size of your faculty with, with funding that is available from the state? We uh, we cut a number of positions starting in 2007, and you may remember from past shows that we've had, uh, Brown County had some very uh, special circumstances related to the property tax reassessment program and our ability over there to, to get that program completed. So we operated Brown County School System on a, a program of tax anticipation warrant loans from 2003 to 2009. That's far and away the longest period I've ever heard of or talked to people who, who have followed school finance to operate over that length of time. Sometime during that time, we got out of balance with our expenditures. And so um, when I became superintendent in 2007, we were faced with a challenge of doing uh, quite a bit of cutting. And, and, and we ended up um, cutting, uh, I'd say, nearly... Um, million, million and three quarters um, dollars out of our general fund over a three-year period. That ended up being a bit of a blessing in disguise because when it came time for the state to do the reductions that they did, which caused so many schools to have immediate and, and deep cuts, we had done those cuts. So um, our Board of Education, Board of School Trustees is I think proud to be able to say, and I'm proud to be able to say, we we accomplished the reductions through natural attrition, and over that period of time, I think we we reduced in force or rift one position. Uh, now we lost a number of positions. Um, this past year, we've been fortunate; uh, we returned uh, two elementary positions out of five or six that we that we cut over. Um, over that period of time. So uh, at the moment, um, despite the cuts that the state has, in, has enacted on public schools in general, including Brown County, um, I would say we're in a balanced general fund, stru- structurally balanced general fund situation. Uh, we were able to negotiate a collective bargaining agreement with our teachers last year that provided 
about a percent and a half uh, salary increase, and uh, that contract runs through this school year. So I think um, our people um, are holding their own, and, and, and at the moment, and I'll, I'll qualify that because we never know what kinds of financial challenges are ahead uh, for us in public education, but for the moment, uh, I think we're um, accomplishing what we want to accomplish and, and uh, pretty pleased with where we are. David's a master of understatement. We <laughs> have no idea what financial challenges might be ahead. <laughs> yeah. Daniel, how, how does it work with the project school and, and uh, public funding? Right. Um, I would say we're in a, a worse situation than uh, traditional schools. Uh, we, we get somewhere between 75 cents to the 80 cents on the dollar that um, traditional schools get. That's basically because we don't get any transportation funds and very mini- minimal uh, physical funds for the buildings. Um, so we have the burden of uh, paying back $2 million in loans and bonds that we um, – that we invested into the building and paying a significant rent on top of that. So our building costs are greater than uh, our budget allows for. So it, it creates tension, financial tension. But we've been very, very fortunate um, in terms of applying for grants and getting very high uh, scores on grants, so getting maximum funding from several different initiatives. Um, our cost our, our cost per student is, uh, is pretty low in Monroe County. I don't know what it is in Brown County. Um, and that cost is, has gone down this year. So already being one of the lowest counties in the state, that's, that's an impact. What do you mean by cost per student? Th- that's uh, the tuition support that the government pays for each child. Um, I don't have the final figures for this year. Last year was $5,350 uh, per child, 5350 and, uh, and we've been told that it is, it is down for next year. Um, we also just received our Title I announcement, and Title I serves kids in poverty. And uh, we are, although our numbers of kids in poverty rose, we're getting a significant 33% cut in Title I funding. So, you know, that, that's a real concern. Um, and maybe the biggest concern, Dave, I don't know if it's affecting you the way it is us, but the state fiscal, the, the way we um, uh, receive our state funds has to be on a reimbursement basis now, which runs counter to the whole debt ceiling argument because we don't get the dollars until we've already spent them. And that puts us in a, in a real bind um, because we have a lot of dollars in sitting in grants at the Department of Education. But we have to spend the money first before we get reimbursed. So that's a new challenge for school leaders. Could, there, could, there be a run, could you run the risk that you would spend the money and then the money wouldn't be forthcoming? Uh, I have to have faith in the. <laughs> I, I have to have faith in our in our in our governance system. The checks in the mail, M- right? Yeah, right. M- right. Much much of that is federal dollars. It's a federal law, mm-hmm. so much of that is federal dollars. And you know, if if we're if schools are in trouble accessing federal dollars that have already been approved, the whole country is in serious problem. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Again, our, <laughs> our phone numbers are eight five five zero eight one 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 eight seven seven two eight five. WFIU 9348, or you can join a live chat, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, at Noon Edition. So the, it sounds like running a school corporation these days is pretty complicated. There are lots of, lots of things going on. Can you talk a little bit about what's new in the classrooms in your corporations? You know, I think that's what, where uh, most of the public really, – I mean, that's, that's, that's why you're there. Yes. So, mm-hmm. so David, what how, – how does – how do, how do the class, how does the classroom operation in Brown County differ this year compared to previous years? That's a great question, and, and I'm, I'm really pleased to give you the answer. We um, had, had completely cut off expenditures on our buildings from the time that tax anticipation warrant uh, program started because, as I said, we really didn't know exactly where we were in terms of revenue that would be coming in. And in some instances, uh, the tax collections lagged over a year behind, and uh, – uh, as I said, we, we got out of balance, but uh, we've been able to, to initiate some uh, uh, improvements in our, in our buildings this year that I think are very special. We, we uh, completely redid our science uh, l- laboratory wing at the high school, and so we have completely new uh, science labs there for our um, boys and girls. And uh, those were labs that essentially had been put in back in the 1960s and had 
some very minor modifications over the years. So uh, I think and the, kids aren't hard on that sort of equipment at all. <laughs> so I'm sure they were in yeah, really yeah. great shape. Yeah, they were they were ready to be redone. But uh, they've got uh, we've got state of the art uh, laboratories for our students in science now, and uh, I think the kids are really really excited about that. We put a additionally we put a a completely new industrial technology laboratory in our junior high school. And uh, a year or so, let's say a year ago, we started a Project Lead the Way program at Brown County High School. This lab at the junior high school will lead to a gateway program, which is the lead-in program for Project Lead the Way. So we've got some uh, special opportunities, I think, for, for boys and girls who are interested in the advanced components of manufacturing education. Could, could you explain a little bit more about Project Lead the Way? Sure. It's a, it's a program that is based uh, on... Uh, um, information that uh, boys and girls need to go to work in the manufacturing field. I think there's been a heavy component of business that has planned. That's a federal federal uh, curriculum that has been put together. And uh, we're in we, – we, we've put uh, two phases of that in. I think it's a – I believe it's a four-phase program. Our boys and girls could have gotten that previously over at uh, – uh, C4 Vocational School, which is where we send our uh, students in Columbus. Uh, but being able to get it here in Brown County, I think, is really going to be special and, and allow some some additional um, students. So there's a there's a math component to it. There's a there's a science and physics component to it, and uh, it's uh, uh, designed to prepare boys and girls, to, you know, who have interest in working in the, in the manufacturing field. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've hired a spe- we've hired actually two new teachers in the last two years. One for the high school, and one this summer for the junior high, who will uh, who will put those programs in in into place for our children. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. How about computer technology? Are you stepping that up this year? We have. We've put a lot of a uh, lot of funding into um, into new uh, systems. Uh, the the science labs have a heavy technology component to them. Um, our buildings have a lot of new computers. We've put uh, a special kind of projector in each of the classrooms in the school corporation. It's a projector that has a computer component mm-hmm. to it, and so. Uh, um, I think the teacher's really excited about that. It's a it's a it's a really modern, uh, state of the art type of a piece of equipment. Also, so gone are the days of the overhead projector. That, this is a this Alas. is a machine that, that that interacts with the students and the teachers, and it replaces all of. Don't the have those good smelling mimeograph sheets yeah, right. anymore yeah. either. Those are you. gone too. That's right. I don't know that mimeograph is even in the dictionary. <laughs> Daniel, in uh, I'm, I'm going to ask this question a little bit sure. different way. In the three years that the project school has been there. I mean, have you changed the way that you're teaching? Have you changed the your strategy at all? Well, um, I, I, I'd like to say yes, in the sense that we're very, a very reflective faculty. We, we encourage, support, and make time for reflection, critical feedback, and change. But in terms of our pedagogy, um, it, we are really solid in, in the way we teach. And We've, and in having compelling generative themes for the whole year that every child is touched by wherever they are. Um, like what? Oh, well, last year is a compelling generative topic. Well, let me back up okay, just a sure, step because sure. um, each year we hold a curricular summit. And this was you know, from the first year of the school. And in that summit, we invite parents and children and community members, um, partners with the, with the school, to come and share their ideas about what we should be focusing on this year. And, and it comes out of two basic strands. We are a place-based, problem-based, project-based school, P3 curriculum that we created. It's our own framework that drives the curriculum in the school. So in the place-based setting, we're, we're looking for what are the assets and resources that kids should know about and have access to for lifelong learning and experience while they're at the school. Um, problem-based, we're looking at real problems both locally and globally that kids can make a meaningful contribution to, to, create, to working on the solution of those problems. And project-based is that all of our work is – the culmination of all work and, and the, much of the learning c- takes place through kids doing significant projects. Um, so we also use a workshop um, pedagogy for um, writer's workshop, reader's workshop, um, fi- uh, I'm sorry, performance arts workshop and visual arts workshop. And the workshop is a, is a pedagogical uh, structure that we love. It's a, it's a mini lesson to the whole group uh, at whatever grade level they are. And we focus on the habits, skills, and dispositions of great readers, great writers, great performers, and great visual artists. 
So there's a short mini lesson of direct instruction where the, the teacher, the highly qualified teacher, is sharing those habits, skills, and dispositions. And then every kid has about 45 to 55 minutes to apply what they've learned at their own level on the work that they're working in while the teachers in the room confer with every kid. So every kid gets uh, conferred with each week to check for understanding in each of those areas. And then the class comes back at the end of the workshop to reflect on and share out how they applied what they learned that day. So the kids aren't only learning from their own experience of how they applied it, but they're hearing from multiple types of learners with multiple learning styles, how they applied it as well, which opens up new entry points for kids around our curriculum. So we're really, we feel really good about the, cho- the curricular choices we've made. Um, we, we didn't anticipate having two art teachers um, at this time. But uh, we have a phenomenal arts team. One of the changes in the school this year is that we moved the arts to the third floor. So the whole third floor is an, art, is an arts floor now. Um, and the, the arts curriculum is infused in all the project-based learning that we do. There's a, we have a P3 arts infusion program. So every child has art four times a week. Um, it's directly connected to the, the thematic work they're doing in, the, in, their, in their own classroom's curriculum. And they're also getting the workshop where they learn the habit, skills, and the discipline of music and the discipline of performing arts. So, um, so I would say the changes, the changes that we've, we've encountered is deepening the work, having more common language as we hire new faculty. Um, we're growing our own faculty. We've learned that uh, new teachers coming out of the School of Ed are not prepared to teach in our environment. Uh, any first-year teacher struggles. Um, but to, to then also be responsible for creating curriculum without student textbooks um, to keep it rigorous and relevant to the kids, to have the strong relationships that are critical, um, and to have the work be um, be really directed and driven by student interests and student talents rather than their deficiencies. Um, that we've found that the, the best way to prepare a teacher is hire highly qualified teachers as teacher assistants, mm-hmm. uh, those who seem um, that they have the skills and ability to become a full project school teacher. They get to be an intern in year two where their salary doubles. They, uh, they take on the same hours as a lead teacher. They're a full partner, but it's a year of additional training. And then in year three, when there's an opening, uh, our interns get the first crack at those openings. So, um, so the change is built into the system mm-hmm. because folks, new teachers have already been with us for two, one, last year was just one year and this right. year now two years. So, um, so the changes are around depth and deeper understanding and, and more trust in terms of making our work public mm-hmm. to our peers, making our students' work public. So when we're challenged by a student's work and haven't been able to reach them in the team, we turn to the other teams to help support us in thinking of how might we better reach this child. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to have to take a, a short break. Uh, we're talking with Daniel Barron, the um, director of the Project School in Bloomington, and also Superintendent David Schaefer from Brown County. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net and from Premier Ortho. Online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition on WFIU. Please uh, join our conversation today about schools, public schools, by calling us at 855-0811 or toll-free 1-877-285-WFIU. Or you can join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at 
noon edition. So Daniel Barron is here. He's the director of the Project School, and Superintendent David Schaefer from Brown County Schools is also here with us today. Um, Daniel, I want to go back to you because, you know, you I asked you about the themes for the yes, year, and, right. and you got off on uh, some other really interesting stuff. But Well, the theme grows out of the Curriculum Summit. And so we asked for the, uh, the members of this, the people who come to the summit to help us know which, which resources and assets, what should we know about this community that the kids may not know, and also what are the problems and issues that they can attend. Then we have a week-long curricular council where we look at all the data. We get lots and lots of data, hundreds of pieces of data from the participants, and we generate that year's compelling generative topic or question. Um, last year was about power. What is power? Um, how does it move? Uh, how, does it, how, what it, how does it look differently from different points of view? So the p- folks with power, how do they see it? And folks without power, um, who, whose story isn't being told when it comes to power? Um, this year, the, the topic is impact, just the word impact. And we've been having a ball um, exploring that with our kids. Um, we're looking at what impact they have on others and on their community, who's impacted them in their lives. Um, we are looking at whether impact, what, what are the intended consequences and the unintended consequence of, of, uh, of the impact we have, and whether it's a positive or negative impact. The last piece is around storytelling, the impact of story. And just this week we've had kids, or last week we had kids go home and learn the origins of their name from their families. They learned about how their name came to them, why it was selected, going back in time and the family name, what nicknames had they had since early childhood, names they might not even remember. And they came back and shared those stories with the group so that kids could then know each other at a very early experience, second or third day, know each other's stories. Um, just this week, we had kids come to the homework assignment was to come to school with a story in your life that really had an impact on you. Mm-hmm. And the kids all came prepared, all told stories. Uh, the, the group that they were working with identified what made that story impactful. Mm-hmm. And then the storyteller gets to reflect on what, how, it, how right they were about the impact and what they missed. Mm-hmm. Um, another nice piece of storytelling that had a, I think will have an impact on our whole school is um, we, we did a, a process that, that we call Qualities of Excellent Work. And each child's homework assignment, I'm talking about our ninth grade academy now, which I'd like to share a little bit more with you, but each child brought in the piece of work that they're most proud of that they've ever done in their life, N- not necessarily at school. Could come from 4-H, could come from the Boys and Girls Scouts, club, Boys and Girls Clubs, any, any forum. And they shared it in small groups, and they identified the qualities that were present in their best work. So each team found the qualities that were similar to each other. And then as each team shared out, we identified five qualities that were in all excellent work. And that will be our assessment system for this year. The qualities that they found in their own best work is how they'll be assisted in the work that they do in the ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And they're already, um, they're already assessing each other's work around the qualities. So just a sh- very short story of a, a, a new child who's, who has a Somalian background first year in school, um, when someone was looking at her, and she's shy. This is her first year in school. She's in ninth grade. And um, so she's, she, she's really talented, but she's afraid of people seeing what she does. And uh, as someone, another student was looking at her work and finding qualities and evidence of each of the criteria that we identified, I just watched her, not knowing it was her work. No one knew except for me. Mm-hmm. But I was just watching the confidence and her beaming hearing someone else talking about her work anonymously. Mm-hmm. So that we're also looking at the impact. And then kids learn from each other's work, and that's a, an impact. So it's, it's proven already in two weeks to be a very compelling topic. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, David, I wanted to turn back to you and, and ask about um, you know, some issues that, that – have been really hot issues over here. The, the length of the school day is one. You know, the Monroe County Community Schools added nearly an hour to the school day this year. Um, they'd had the shortest day allowed mm-hmm. by by state law. Um, I guess I want to ask both of you about the impact of uh, of a longer school day, and you know, what if you know how long is your school day? First of all. Um, well, let's see. Ours at the high school is um, get this get the math right. It's about seven and a half. I think seven and a half hours, mm-hmm. and uh, we're not. I don't believe we're at the minimum length of time. Uh, we have a little bit longer school day at our three uh, outlying 
elementary school buildings, uh, which is really related to transportation issues. Mm-hmm. We have some, some very interesting challenges with transportation out there. <laughs> but um, I, I certainly would say that I think a longer school day or a longer school year uh, al- allows schools the opportunity to do more with boys and girls. And so I, you know, I, I would applaud what Monroe has done over here to uh, to increase that time. I think uh, the initiative that has come out of the General Assembly this last uh, session that, that uh, may allow some uh, flexibility for school corporations in terms of either lengthening the time that uh, we have uh, boys and girls in school uh, as well as the potential lengthening of the calendar uh, may be of some some real benefit for us in in the future. Yeah, those those would seem to be really they'll be really interesting issues because you'll have you have to negotiate with your teachers. I would assume if you're going to add days to the school year, mm-hmm. that's one of those so. issues that's being contended. I think right now in the courts because I don't know the cut the recent news, but the individual teacher contract form that the Department of Education mm-hmm. put out has been enjoined uh, in, in by uh, a court in Indianapolis, and again, I think that'll go probably through. A couple of levels before the matter is uh, is resolved, but um, um, I would always be a person who would be in favor of additional time during the school day and additional days during the school year in order to work longer with boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, our length of day hasn't changed. We we open at eight every morning and we go till three thirty. So if, so we have a longer school day to start with. Um, I'm really pleased to see Monroe County increasing the the length of their day. Um, In comparison with them last year, we had the equivalent of 27 extra instructional days a year um, just based on the longer day. So that gave us a tremendous advantage in terms of time with kids. But I I also have to say, and and I think Dr. DeMuth agrees, that um, we can't just do more of the same and expect a different outcome. So I think it's really critical that if what's working for kids in a shorter day, if you just give them more of it, it's unlikely to have the impact that it could if you use that time, with, uh, that planning time on Wednesdays to really reflect on how to differentiate the curriculum to meet different kids' needs. And then you, you apply those adaptations in a longer day, it could have a real impact. Um, I, 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 I know there's issues around the Wednesday late start. And um, I would suggest to look at an early release rather than a late start. Um, we have an early release on Wednesdays. Just by mm-hmm. chance, it's the same day, and it always has been Wednesdays for us. But I've found in my history in, in schooling that it's much easier to accommodate children and parents with an early release rather than a late start, and particularly with the dark early mornings we have and kids on different routes going to different schools, that it could be a real challenge. So it, I, I hope they keep it. I know there's a lot of pushback. I think that time for collaboration is essential and for reflection, but they might find much less community pushback if it was an early release rather than a late start. Yeah, as a parent who you know uh, participated in that when my son was at the project school, we used those early Wednesdays as days for doctor appointments or you know an opportunity. That's when you would have time to get to Indianapolis to go to a museum or something, because you know usually the school day doesn't allow for that. But you know you beat the crowds, but you still get to have um, that opp- that opportunity to do your own kind of personal enrichment with your child. And as you know, Mary Catherine, we offer programs for kids on that Wednesday Mm -hmm. afternoon so that it's a real enrichment time, um, Mm -hmm. which would be much harder to do in the morning, you Mm -hmm. know, at that early hour. So um, when other agencies are up and working, we brought in so many people that offered such enriched curricula, including foreign languages. Um, After school, we we had last year uh, German, Spanish, Mongolian, Chinese, and Japanese every week, and we couldn't. And that extended our school day even even mm-hmm. longer. So I, I think afternoon programming is much easier to um, to manage as a school than 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 early morning. Okay, we have a phone call, and it's Donald from Nashville. So Donald is on the phone. Hello. Hey, Donald. Go ahead. Okay, I have a question for David Schaefer. Yes, sir. Uh, actually, there's two questions. Number one. Our taxes went from last year to this year, went up 33% just for the school. That's one thing. Number two, they built brand-new tennis courts. There's five of them. They've got Brown County stone just laying on top of a, of a black plastic. It's almost it's ugly-looking, actually. I'd like to know, how much did that tennis cost, court cost, and who designed it, and who approved it? Okay, we got some, there's several questions there for you, David. <laughs> okay. Well, Donald, you got the right person because I approved the I approved the project. Um, 
the tennis court project, we originally had five tennis courts, and uh, we added one new one last year. Uh, we redid the five because uh, they were in need of, of uh, uh, improvement. They had cracks in them and so forth. So it was a, it was a redo. We um, tried to landscape that hill with Brown County Stone. And uh, it was, uh, it was, it's an expensive project to redo tennis courts. I don't have a figure in front of me right now to, to cite you with that. As far as your question about the taxes are concerned, um, when we uh, had limited our expenditures on taxes from 2003 forward, we um, collected less taxes in 2007, uh, excuse me, in 2009. Uh, the taxes did go up. Uh, uh, quite a bit when you compare them uh, this past year with the previous year. But if you go back and compare them two years ago, I think you'd see a, a very modest increase. Main reason the taxes went up was because of the debt service fund. We did incur some additional debt to do some of the projects that I've described, including the science labs and the technology projects in the school corporation. And again, those were um, over a period of years. So I think if you'd look at the comparison of the taxes over a period of several years, um, they, are, they are up somewhat, but I don't think they're up at, uh, in the significant numbers that you cite for just the comparison to last year. Thank you. All right. Thank you for the call. All right. Again, our phone numbers are 855 That's WFIU instead of 9348 if, if you'd rather hit those letters. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition and our live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. You know, usually when we have a discussion about education, um, we talk about classroom size or, or you know, student-to-teacher ratios. So let's let's talk about that and any changes um, that, that have been made in both of your organizations um, about that. Would you like to begin? Sure. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we did add two elementary teachers, so that obviously has an impact on our on our overall uh, class ratio, uh, and and again, I won't be able to cite you a specific uh, uh, figure, but I I think our class sizes are um, in compliance very much with uh, uh, very reasonable uh, numbers numbers that typically have been the uh, the prime time numbers for the for the. Uh, primary grades, mm-hmm. and, uh, um, you know, something in the vicinity of between 20 and 25 students per class in in our uh, elementary schools. I think at our high school, um, those numbers would be between 20 and 30 kids per class, depending on the course, depending on, on the uh, 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 subject that, that are being taught. Um, we have some limitations in terms of the size of uh, Brown County High School. I have about 740 students at Brown County High School this year. And so, um, in, you know, in some instances, there are courses that are more popular. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking, for example, that those science uh, classes are going to really attract some numbers. And, and we've, we've designed those labs. Uh, uh, and again, uh, you know, there was an expenditure uh, from our, our debt service fund in order to to accomplish that. But I think that was a project that was very, very important to to bring about. Um, uh, so I, I think that in our situation, we're very comfortable with our class sizes, and I think our I think our families are very happy with with where we're at. Daniel? Yeah, um, I'd like to mention Kathy Deersing, my co-school leader, because I'm really not the director. Um, it, it's not that hierarchical of a, of a structure, but Kathy and I are co-leaders. And um, Kathy and we all, the whole faculty, felt really strongly that our number class size should be similar, if not identical, to the Monroe County School Corporation. We didn't want anyone to be able to say it's because we have smaller class sizes or a lower student-teacher ratio that's bringing about this, the successes that we're, that we're achieving. Because um, I, I think class size all is not a – if you look at the research, class size is, a, is less a critical of an issue than teacher quality and teacher collaboration. So we, we hire only the best teachers, the teachers we want for our own children and for children who have the greatest needs. Um, o- over 25% of our kids are, in sp- are special ed students, and we celebrate that. It's a fully included program. Um, all, virtually all of our assistants are qualified teachers. 
So where our ratios are the same, uh, 22 for the youngest kids up to 28 at the middle school level, um, we use our support staff to make those and, and team teaching. Every teacher teaches in a team. So those numbers get reduced by putting all of our personnel into the classroom. Um, I would like to mention that we just opened the ninth grade program this year, and we would never we didn't intend that. We started as a, a K seven in our first year. Our second year, we anticipated going to K eight, and that's what our charter was for. But and we had a group of students and parents who implored us uh, to have a ninth grade program. They felt that they, that one or two years in the school made tremendous progress for the kids in their own self concept, but they really needed another year. So we, we uh, amended our charter and extended to, ten, to ninth grade, and we still have four openings uh, that will close on Thursday, next Thursday, and we'll fill those positions in the K-8. The K-8's full, and there won't be a lottery for those four positions. So I'd like people to know that um, there are four openings at the, at the ninth grade academy, that we do have a very strong partnership with IU High School and that any course we're not credentialed to offer, they take it through the IU High School, and we're really excited about that. It also allows us, we, we have nine, uh, six, seven, and eighth graders taking geometry, kids who already passed Algebra One last year, still in middle school, and are taking geometry through IU High School. So we're able to really accelerate for kids who are accelerated, and we're able to give the kids a very customized curriculum for those kids who need more support. So the teacher ratio in the, in the ninth grade academy is extremely low because we have special ed services, we have musical therapy services, we have a, a, a full-time teacher, a teacher's assistant. So there's a lot of support for a small number of kids who really need the boost or want to accelerate. So it's a, it's a, a Bob, there will be a story about the ninth grade <laughs> in next Tuesday's paper. So I encourage people to learn about it because it's an extraordinary opportunity to be in a, in a, in a really thoughtfully constructed program for a very small number of kids. The maximum is 14. Mm-hmm. The IU High School is uh, an online program, correct? That's right. Yeah. Uh, although it typically it's done by a student at home or traveling the world with mm-hmm. sports or arts. Um, we, we're using a blended model so that there are always teachers there to help support kids while they're online. And any child that doesn't have a computer or online services at home, the school's providing it for them. So they have, to, they have access to their online courses when they're home, when we're on break. Um, so the support is there. And then I, we have a guidance counselor with IU, and, we, um, and they have a, a, help, a 24-hour helpline. So there's lots of ways for kids to get support mm-hmm. as they're doing the online work. Okay. We have a question that's come in, and, Daniel, you, you sort of answered, I think, part of it. It says, what options uh, for children with learning disabilities are there in Indiana's public schools? Well, we're, yeah, as I said, we're privileged and thrilled to have – so many kids that um, have been identified as a need in special service, but we know that every single one of them are brilliant and have as much to contribute to the classroom as any other child, and they're so respected by their peers for the, which, the challenges they've overcome that our, our special ed kids, no one would know who's you know walking in the class or, or being a part of the class. You wouldn't know who's special ed identified, and um, it's really about celebrating and appreciating differences in learning styles and, and even capacities. Um, but we, we have uh, occupational therapy. We have physical therapy. We have counseling services. We have speech and hearing services. We have musical therapy. And we have, multi, we have several special ed teachers who support kids at specific grade levels so they can target in at the level of one or two classes. So um, we're really, really proud of our special ed program. It's unusual because many charter schools have been slammed for creaming and not serving kids with special needs. But we welcome any child that walks through the door and know that they're brilliant and we can help them reach their full capacity. Okay. David? Special education uh, really begins with preschool students, and we have had a preschool program at Nashville Elementary for a number of years. This year, we have expanded our preschool program to go also to Helmsburg Elementary School. So um, that's a program that not only serves special ed, but it also serves some regular education students. And so we're really excited about the uh, really the possibility of really doubling the opportunities for boys and girls in preschool education. We have uh, all licensed teachers to serve our special needs uh, kids. We've got about 20% of our student population who are identified with IEPs in some form or another. And so they have a, a contingent of, number one, licensed uh, personnel to uh, serve them. We, we 
practice the general philosophy that I think most everyone practices of having uh, our children with handicaps and special needs in the least restrictive environment and so that uh, many, many, if not uh, a large, well, a large majority of those kids are out in regular ed classrooms throughout much of the day, if not all, all of the day. So there are lots of opportunities, I think, for uh, special education students in Brown County schools and um, uh, I, I would echo some of what Daniel says about ce- celebrating the abilities and uh, uh, the special skills that some of those kids have and the interaction that they have, I think, with our regular education students. Okay. Bob, I, I think it's really our, our both our vision and our mission that attracted so many special needs kids. Um, our vision is to eliminate the predictive value of race, class, special abilities, language, gender orientation to eliminate the predictive values of those factors on success in school and in life. And, and that predictive value is best described by the fact that Indiana, along with many other states, including California, when they're projecting how many of the jail cells they'll need uh, 15 years from now, they look at third grade test scores as the strongest predictor for the amount of jail cells they need. That's a predictive value. So our vision is to eliminate that, that you can't tell by a zip code or the color of a child's skin or the income that their family earns what, how they're going to do in school because we, we believe everyone can excel. And our mission is to uncover, recover, or discover the unique gifts, talents, and interests that each child brings to school every day and to apply those strengths on any academic challenges that emerge. So rather than being deficit thinking and looking at what kids can't do and focusing on what they can't do and slowing down the curriculum around what they're weak in while other kids are accelerating in, in, in the higher level classes, um, we are an assets-based school. So the, we, talk, we take the assets of families. We, all, we don't talk about families having deficits. It's what assets do the family have that they can bring to the school and to their children's education. And um, uncovering in those talents that kids have, those interests and gifts, to um, apply to the challenges that emerge, and it's been wildly successful. Okay, great. We're, we are out of time. Daniel Barron, thank you very much, as always. And David Schaefer, great to see you again this year. You for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Rachel Lyon, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933, online at mypremierortho.com.